Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. That was a barn burner of a rehearsal, I think. <laughs> Indeed it was, yes. Yeah. We're talking about band practice. Yeah, and we had band practice tonight with a couple of people who were going to join us on stage for Bratfest in Madison. So if you guys aren't familiar with Bratfest, which you're probably not unless you're in the Midwest, Bratfest is the largest free music festival in the world. So there's like 200 bands um, and like huge bands too, like it's me, Charlie Daniels and Brett Michaels and like uh, even Aaron Lewis from Stained, who I guess does a country thing now. Um, I did love that So Far Away song in 2003. Oh. I, I put it on a mixtape for a girl. Mixtape. No, yeah. Well, no, it was a mix, mix CD. It was a mix yeah. CD for a girl a long time ago. Um, but Bratfest is super fun and it's all for charity. It's all like all the brats are donated and um, it's, it's uh, people, people get paid to, to um, grill the brats and stuff. And then the money goes toward the local charities here in Madison. And like the local newscasters grill brats and stuff. And the thing is being Madison, they also have, like I am not a, a meat eater myself. um, So they have plenty of veggie brats. So you can have an entire vegan meal. Uh, at Bratfest, and it's one of the few places that you can have a vegan meal. Yeah, it's great. So it's cool. Like it's a festival where there's free live music, great beer, and uh, vegan meals. Yeah. So and it all goes to charity. So I'm happy to support it every yes. year. Yes. And Sunspot, um, will, our band will be playing on Sunday the 24th mm-hmm. at, at 4, 4 p.m. Yeah. on the Ho Chunk main stage. Yeah. So if you're if you happen to be in Madison, you know, drop on by. It's a free show. <laughs> and so we just finished a, a rehearsal for that, and it was really exciting. And we're bringing in some people to augment our sound on stage. Yeah. So that was a, that was a fun thing too. Anyway, we're just all juiced up from rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> And um, but we really wanted to talk about Deborah Moffat, who we brought on this week, and I interview. I interviewed this weekend. Uh, her story, a deadly haunting, yeah, and a very indeed a, a terrifying, terrifying story. Yeah, I mean, this I really say. is this is an incredible story, and Deborah's got a lot to say, and she's a sweet woman, and what her family went through. I mean. Unimaginable. Yeah. And, <laughs> Just, and and so that's the kind of thing. And so like the connections to if you guys have ever seen an Amityville horror uh, or read the book Amityville Horror, uh, it's kind of about that, like where these crazy things happen in a haunted house. And then it, um, it also brings up a little paranormal activity to me, too. Because this follows them from house to house. It's, it's about a demon that follows their family. Not just. And it's like, like, like you're thinking like a haunted house. Once I leave the haunted house, I'm fine. Well, what if you left <laughs> the haunted house and the next place oh you went gosh. to, it got even worse. Yeah. See, cause that's, that's what I was saying is some of the things that, that she describes. I mean, the second I saw that I would be so out of that place. I would, I, I would go near it. And that, that's what the paranormal activity, like the first paranormal activity. Yeah. I haven't seen the sequels. The first one's great. The rest of them, okay. Oh. But the, the first one is... is You're talking... I'm sorry. When you said the paranormal activity, I thought you just like were using... Just in general. Yeah. I thought it was a movie paranormal <laughs> okay. activity. Okay. I haven't seen it. It's a footage movie and it's about a demon that follows a girl. 
I see. So there is no escape. I, I you am can't. the demon that has followed some girls. In my <laughs> life. Um, and then it also brings in past lives. And you'll hear that in the interview. And that makes me think about Dead Again. <sighs> which Kenneth Branagh, I'm a massive Kenneth Branagh fan. Me too. I think he went off the reservation when he left Emma Thompson. Myself, because <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter is a dish. No question. <laughs> but she's no Emma Thompson. Um, just saying. And uh, the early run he had with Henry V and um, when he was married to Emma Thompson and all this stuff. And Dead Again is a brilliant movie. Emma Thompson, um, Kenneth Branagh, Derek Jacobi, Robin Williams in his best uncredited performance. Oh. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with the sins of the past life. I see. Revisiting the present. Okay. And so... That's a really good past life movie that kind of this story makes me think of. Interesting. And it has all these elements, even a little bit element of Poltergeist, I think. The original, they're making yeah. a remake of Poltergeist. <sighs> no. Right. They remake oh, I saw remake. the, yeah, I saw the trailer for that. Yeah, it looks, and Sam Rockwell's playing the dad. Sam Rockwell, he's um, the red shirt in Galaxy Quest. Uh, he's Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Moon. You ever seen Moon? This no. The movie directed by David Bowie's son. No, like David Boy's first kid, not not a kid with a man, uh-huh. but a kid with his English wife. Anyway, watch Moon. Okay, it's go home on Netflix right now. Wendy, we're gonna leave. Stop Bye, talking. guys. So stop okay. talking. Go home on Netflix. I'm heading out the door. And watch Moon. I'm leaving. Okay, Wendy's out the door, and I'm gonna go talk to Deborah Moffat. Here we go. We are with Deborah Moffat. The experiencer behind the book, A Deadly Haunting, a true story as told to uh, Joy Albrecht. Am I saying that name correctly? Yes, you are. Okay. And um, how are you doing today, Deborah? I'm fine, thank you. Well, thank you for joining us on See You on the Other Side today. Um, just for a quick introduction to our audience, uh, where, you, where are you at right now? And uh, Rancho Cucamonga, California. Okay. How's the weather in California today? It's a little overcast today. Okay. Well, but you guys don't have winter, so I don't feel too bad no. for you. I'm talking to you from Minneapolis, which is a lovely city uh, and great weather today, but we have to live through winter in order to get yeah. there. Well, I'm from New York originally, so I know snow. Okay. Oh, so you understand the winter. Good. Yes. Good. All right. Well, um, just uh, to talk a little bit about a deadly haunting, can you give us a little bit of the time frame that these things happened to you? I can tell you when I I exactly started experiencing this was in 1987. Uh, supposedly, and I can, I can only tell you what I was told, it started back in 1984. And the reason we think that is because some of the researchers that came to the house tried to to uh, speculate what brought this about. And uh, back in 1984, my mother-in-law had hired a housekeeper from Guatemala who supposedly practiced Santeria. And she opened some type of door and allowed this to come through. So uh, for me, it started about 1987. That's when I first started experiencing these things. And it lasted till the end of 92. And you know what I think after, you know, reading A Deadly Haunting, and reading the chapter on uh, Juanita, the uh, uh, the woman who is taking care of your grandmother-in-law, mm-hmm. um, Domenica, 
I, you know, it's funny, the, you know, the book almost even starts with immigration politics because she wouldn't, I mean, so to people who are uh, listening, uh, one of the reasons that uh, this woman uh, performed the ritual is because she wanted to, to keep her job taking care of Deborah's grandmother-in-law, Dominica, and if Dominica passed away, then she'd no longer have to have a job and return to Guatemala. Correct. And so uh, I just, you know, I thought that was funny. It's like, oh, well, if we had a little bit easier immigration policy, then maybe this whole thing wouldn't have happened in the first place. Um, so to catch up, so, so that happened in 19, uh, that happened in 1984. And then you went to the picture because um, it's so you uh, got married to Bill. Right. Who, Bill Jr., who was, you know, he was at the center of the family that all these things happened to. How did you meet Bill? Like, did you, did you know that you were going to get caught in a, a maelstrom of paranormal activity? You know, I really didn't. I met Bill through, through uh, we started exchanging letters. And that's how we met, actually, exchanging letters. We were, uh, he wanted something taped on the East Coast, and I wanted something taped on the West Coast. And so we exchanged letters and started exchanging tapes, and it grew from that. Oh, that's fun. So you guys were, like, back in the day before internet and DVDs and everything like that. So what were you guys recording for each other? He actually loved professional wrestling. Okay. So I was uh, recording a wrestling show he couldn't get back east, back in the west, uh, back uh, from, and we was out in the east, an eastern wrestling show. And, you know, that's... Uh, that's funny because that kind of meeting uh, will never, you know, will never happen again. You no. know, so that kind of thing where it's like, yeah, I'll videotape this for you, and you videotape this for me, and we trade some shows and stuff. And um, I remember I used to do that with Doctor Who episodes because people. Oh, I love Doctor Who. Yeah, because people in different uh, cities, their PBS stations would have different things taped, and you couldn't get the stuff because you couldn't even buy the videotapes from England at the time. Right back then, you couldn't. So uh, no, that's a cute story of how you guys met. And then you came out to California. Mm-hmm. And, and once I saw Bill, I just, we, I knew we were never going to be apart until the day he died. We weren't. We were together every single day. Uh, I mean, through, uh, through good times and bad, and it sounds like right. some scary times. Yeah, some very scary times. And, and let's talk about that. So, I mean that's that's what the story of Deadly Haunting uh, is is based on. This how you know how quickly into your marriage and getting together did weird things start happening in the house that you lived at? Okay, now the, let me explain how that situation was. Okay, uh, this was down on Archibald Avenue in Rancho Cucamonga, and there were three houses right in a row on the corner, and my mother-in-law and father-in-law owned the one in the middle. The one to the left, I mean, to the right, was owned when she was alive by my mother's mother. Then the one on the left of the house was owned by my husband. He inherited it from his, his aunt when she died. Now, my husband had a heart condition, so he was living with his, his parents. He felt more comfortable with his parents sure. because of his heart condition. So when we got married, I moved in with, with them. We stayed there in the middle house because I, I just loved his mother so much. So I was very comfortable there. Uh, the paranormal events actually started in my husband's house that we were renting out. And then you rented out to a guy named Danny, right? Right. And when we first rented it out, you know, at the beginning, no problem. Uh, we rented it out 
with the rules that my husband had a large sports collection. He was a, he collected sports objects and, and cards and all kinds of things. We kept one of the rooms in that house to store all my husband's sports memorabilia. So Danny had, he rented out a bedroom, but he had use of the rest of the house. The rules was he just couldn't touch the one room. And he would, he seemed like a very nice young man. Um, we'd go up periodically to check on the things in the room. Uh, we went up one afternoon and we opened the door because the door was kept locked. Mm -hmm. We went in the room and all the bobbleheads, he had baseball bobbleheads that were on the wall were taken off the wall and put into a large triangle on the floor. Now that was the very first paranormal event that I witnessed. But at the time I didn't think it was a paranormal event. We right. both thought that, you know, Danny probably had gotten into the room and just did this as a joke or something because you don't, you don't think something that you can't see got into the room and did this. So we automatically thought it was the tenant. Uh, we confronted him about it. He said, I've never been in that room. I don't even touch the door. You know, we just, I just don't touch it. Um, Things started to progress from there with the paranormal. Well, that we triangle, started, that triangle formulation, right? So that that triangle with like a, an S-shaped tail. Now, right. that would show up a lot of places uh, over the next few years because uh, later on you you learned that that was the symbol of Mister Entity, the you right. know, the name that you that you called uh, the 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 demon that lived in your house. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next thing that started happening, are you familiar with the term of ports? Yes. Okay. Then we started getting a ports in the middle house where we were all living. Uh, my mother-in-law was very religious. And next to her bed, she had a, a, a chest. And on the chest, she had all, she was Catholic. She had saints and she had all kinds of religious statues. Mm -hmm. And she would pray there every night before she went to bed. Well, she woke up one morning and there was a pair of men's briefs over a statue of Jesus. And, now, and there were nobody's briefs that were in the house, right? Like nobody's no, like, hey, no, what are my hands you know, doing on there? Yeah, because, you know, so my mother thought, you know, what's going on? She thought, what of us had done it? But we didn't, you know, we, none of us knew what was going on. And it progressed from there. We, we got some of his, and we found out later it was, it was belonged to the tenant because we got some of his receipts. We got letters. We've got, we had his jewelry. And it got to the point where it was actually bringing things that were were, were valuable, like a beautiful watch. <clears throat> so we couldn't go to the tenant and say, you know, we have your things up at our house. Right. They're coming up there. Nobody's bringing them. Because he would think, right, you know, think we, we were taking his things. So we would try to take them back to the house. Well, we would take them back to the house, and they would come right back again. Well, and, so and we could, when you read the story, too, I think it's it's interesting that you go into different situations, and, and I think one of them, you're visiting some of your uh, in-laws' friends, and I mean, mm -hmm. you guys get back, like, there's a, there's like a wallet, like Carl's wallet came now, with that, you that back to the house? that was later on. That was after we moved. Okay. That was when, when we moved. Uh, the next thing that happened was we went down to the house a little more often thinking, we better keep an eye on the, the things down in the room. Mm -hmm. And there started to be symbols over all the light switches. The, where you click the lights on and off, there were symbols. And it looked like in crayon. And there were all kinds of different single, uh, symbols. Some were the triangle again. There were crosses upside down. There were uh, pentagrams. There were wiggly lines. All the, a lot of the symbols we didn't even recognize. Didn't know what they were. 
uh, we asked the gentleman, you know, why are you writing on the wall? He again said, I'm not doing anything. I don't know what's going on. And that week he moved out. I mean, he gave us one day notice and he was gone, but he never said anything was happening in the house. He never said anything was bothering him. He just, I have nothing to do with this. And he was gone. And so he just, he just got up and, and took off. And right. so, and that was in, okay. So that was taking place in, uh, your husband's, your husband's the house rental, that was yeah. given and to him. And that was in 1987. Aunt. That was when it was first started. So you have, um, th- you have that house that, that, your, mm-hmm. that your husband inherited. You have the house that you guys are living in, which is your mm-hmm. in- in-law's house. Mm-hmm. And then you also have Dominica's house, right? Right. Now, Dominica's house, one of the things that had happened, how we, we found out that this lady, we think, uh, practiced Santeria. When my mother-in-law died, we went up. To, my mother-in-law, I wasn't there at the time. My mother-in-law and Bill went up to clean the house. And when they went in the house, they found in the corners broken rosary beads, blood, different symbols on the floor, bird feathers. So something had been going on there. Um, they cleaned the house and decided to rent it out. They rented it out to a gentleman named Monty. Uh, Monty was a very nice gentleman. Uh, he never complained, but my husband told me he did ask a few very strange questions. He wanted to know if somebody died in the house. And my my husband was... a afraid of the paranormal when this first started i mean he was just he didn't even want to hear about it sure uh the gentleman said that he felt someone was trying to contact him in the house and he had been using a ouija board well my my husband didn't want to know anything about it so that's as far as that went okay monty never complained but just we knew maybe something was going on in the house so so monty was okay with everything danny didn't complain either but you guys had I mean, you guys were seeing things taking place inside that house. Right. And I don't know what happened with Danny. I mean, he must have saw something to, to leave within like a day, not even give us notice. So I know that he was gone. And, and what were so, you seeing in the house you were living in? At the time, all we had gotten at that time were reports. We're Nothing just, else had happened at the that weird time. Stuff that was, the weird stuff that was showing up from Danny's house inside your mother-in-law's um, right. like, shrine. Right. Uh, so we went down. I remember my husband and I went down to the house to clean it, to get it ready for a new tenant. Uh, he went into the, the room to check on his sports and I was in the living room and in the living room, there is up very high. You have to get on the ladder. There's a shelf that runs the whole length of the living room and you'd have to get on that ladder to, to, to do anything on the shelf. And I remember looking at the shelf because there was a lot of knickknacks and thinking, oh, these needed to be dusted. And I remember looking till my husband came in the room. I looked at him and I looked back at the shelf and every single item on the shelf was turned backwards. And this was in like a blink of an eye. It just, everything was backwards. And And I remember telling my husband and he of course said, you're imagining things. They were like that when you first came in, you just didn't notice, but they weren't. Well, did anybody freak out at this time? You know, like I'm well, thinking my, if this kind of stuff happened to me, I would, I, I would freak out. I'd be like, that's it. We're out of here. Yeah. Well, my mother-in-law was getting very frightened. Although you have to realize at this point, nothing threatening had happened. Okay. It was all very calm. You know, nothing bad was happening. There was no, 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 not, not even a bad feeling in the house. You walked in the house. It didn't feel like, you know, like something was evil was there. And, it was just at the point. The truth is that when I first this first started happening, it was absolutely amazing. 
because we would come into that. Now, this is when we were still cleaning the house. We would go into that house, and the next time we came in, a lamp from, like, one of the bedrooms was sitting in the middle of the, of the living room. And my husband said, oh, someone must have gotten into the house and moved it. Because still, we were still thinking, we weren't thinking paranormal other than the porch. We knew something was going on there. But my husband always wanted to attribute everything to, to a real person because it made him feel safer. Sure, of course. Yeah, but it wasn't. I said, no, Bill, you know, something's going on. So I would start asking. I would say, if there's something in this house, move something. Now, it would never do it right in front of you. It wouldn't, it wouldn't move something in front of you. You would turn your back or you'd go in the other room for a second and you'd come back and something would be moved. I remember I asked that. We went into the kitchen to look around. When I came back, I think it was the dining room table was in the middle of the living room. And is this when, uh, so uh, in, the, in the book, it's always messages left in the bathroom mirror with soap. Did messages appear uh, during this time in any of these collection of homes that your family owned? The three homes down there, no. The only writing we had down there were the symbols over the light fixtures. That, there was no writing. There was no actual communication. But I did, we, we thought, you know, my husband started to think his, his uncle had died in the house. So he started thinking, well, maybe it's my, my uncle trying to communicate with us. Because it, would, it was like, it became like a game, a deadly game at the time, which I didn't realize. But it was like a game because you would ask it to do things, and this unseen presence would do them. And it was, it was amazing. And then, so it, it didn't feel dangerous or anything like that at the time. At the no, time, it was it like, wasn't. oh, this is, you know, this is, look at how neat this is. It's the spirit of my uncle, and he's moving stuff around. Yeah, it was, it was non-threatening. Uh, then a few things started moving at the house we were living in. Uh, not, nothing bad, again, but things like to turn backwards. It would like to turn pictures backwards, turn everything backwards. Little things start happening. Then everything kind of quieted down. Everything kind of just kind of quieted down. So we decided, well, we'll rent out the house again. So we, it was all cleaned. We rented it out. We rented it out to a gentleman, an older gentleman, and a younger woman. And uh, I, can't, I think his name was Tom. Her name was Michelle. Yeah, I know Michelle. Yeah, in the book, no, it was Tom and Michelle, and it seemed like – uh, Tom wasn't very nice to his girlfriend, right? When they first moved in, everything was fine. You know, they were very, they were, he was quiet. He was a quiet person. She was more gregarious. Uh, but, you know, they, they kept to themselves. I would see her periodically out in the front yard. We would talk and communicate. And I noticed as the days went on, Michelle became a little, little stranger, a little, you know, a little more reserved, not as talkative. And then one day I came out and she was almost hiding in the bushes and she had, I, you could see by looking at her, she had been beaten up. She had a black eye and swollen lip. And I asked her, well, you know, what's going on, Michelle? And she told me that since they had moved in the house, Tom had changed. She said he had gotten very mean. And I said, you know, you can't, you can't live with someone that's hurting you. Right. Would you like, like me to take you to a, a shelter or something? She said, no, it's okay. I can take care of myself. Well, I didn't see her for like a week, and I, I saw her all the time. Sometimes we didn't talk, but I always saw her. So uh, I saw Tom like a week later, and I asked him, well, where's Michelle? And he said, Michelle left me, and he was not friendly. So, you know, that's where the conversation ended. Um, like a week after that, he moved out. You know, he gave us a day notice that I'm leaving. I'll be gone tomorrow, and he, he was gone. Uh, we went up to 
check the house out to see what it needed to be cleaned and taken care of to re-rent it out. And the house was spotless. I mean, it was bleached. It was clean as could be. Um, it's clean. I, but then later on, you find out that uh, Michelle was found dead, right? Right. Uh, about two or three weeks later, um, we were we had put the ad in the paper to re-rent it. My, uh, my husband and I were in the front yard. He went in. I saw a man knocking at the door next door. And I went over and said, you know, no one's there. He said, well, where's Tom? I said, well, I don't know. He left. He said, well, did you hear what happened to Michelle? I said, no. He said, they found Michelle, Michelle's body wrapped in a rug in the landfill. And then he left. I mean, I couldn't talk to him, ask him more questions, but he just said, I have to go. And he left. Well, I went back and tell, told my husband and his family, you know, is this, do you think this really happened? Because I had heard nothing about it. Sure. Now, my husband was a fanatic about the news. He read like six papers a day, knew every news show. He said, I've never heard anything about it. But we don't even know where the land, where this gentleman said where the landfill was, what city it was in or what it was. So I don't know. So you guys but, didn't call the police or anything like that? No, I, I wanted to, I said to my husband, do you think we should, you know, he said, what are you going to tell them? That they lived here and, and you don't know anything. But the only thing was, the man said she was wrapped in a rug and one of our rugs, one of the big throw rugs was missing. See, that's what really worried me. And, I, you know, I, I don't know if Michelle was dead or if she wasn't dead. I really don't know. But I, I felt guilty because... I, I wanted to do something, but what could I do? Right. You didn't have any proof or anything like that. All no. you had was a missing rug. Right. So now we decided after that, after the gentleman told us that, not to rent the house out. We weren't going to rent it out anymore. One other reason was we had decided to move to a larger house. The four of us were going to stay together, and we decided to move to a, a bigger house so we could all live together. So we were going to sell all three houses. And then you guys did that, and... and uh, you were starting a family, and how far away did you move? We only moved up the up the hill, like six, seven miles up the hill. Uh, now, before we left, now because we were moving so close, we took a long time to move. We would move a little, move a little. We were moving by ourselves, um, so we were still there, even though we were in the process of moving. We had put the property on the market. Um, the last day that we were on the property. It was just my, my mother-in-law and myself. Now, up until this point, there had never been any actions other than what might have happened with Michelle sure. that were hostile. It was still just like, a, a, you know, no, nothing bad. Right. Well, the last day we were there, my mother-in-law and I were in the bedroom packing the last box, and we heard a loud bang from the kitchen, like an almost an explosion. Uh, the two of us ran to the kitchen and all the cupboards in the kitchen had been ripped off the walls, just ripped, literally ripped off the walls and pieces were on the floor. While we were in the kitchen, in the bedroom, we heard glass exploding. We went back to the bedroom and all the, the glass in the bedrooms had been blown out. So I remember we grabbed the one, I grabbed one little box and my mother and I left. And at that point, the hostility started to show. It was like, he was mad that we were leaving. Well, how long, how long into living in the new house did, did you start receiving messages and weird things start happening? Well, we lived at the house about three weeks and everything was wonderful. We thought we left it behind. We're fine. You know, it's gone. Uh, then the very first thing that happened was a picture was turned backwards. 
Now we all liked at that time. We all thought, Oh, maybe somebody just inadvertently moved it. Right. But we all knew no, because this was what it liked to do. Turn things backwards. And then, then at first it just started turning the things backwards again and moving things around. Then my mother-in-law and father-in-law, it's a big, very big house. And they had the suite upstairs, Mm -hmm. and it's a a bedroom with a bathroom, and then there's a big, real large sitting room that the previous owner had used for a playroom. Uh, My mother-in-law was upstairs, and she called me like in a panic. And I remember I ran upstairs, and she said, you have to see this. She pulled me into her bathroom, and on the mirror was, talk to me. And it was written in soap. And... I remember we looked at each other, and the first thing you all made, like, something like that, we thought, well, one of us must have wrote this. Who was playing right. the joke? Yeah, but my husband was downstairs. I had had a child in, when we moved, first moved up there. Jamie was born. So my husband came up the steps, brought Jamie with him, and the, my father-in-law came up. So we were all there together, and we were all debating who did this, and we were all, you know, we were all denying it. We didn't, none of us, we didn't touch it. And I said, well, let's try this. So we, we erased it. We, I cleaned the mirror and we left. We went into the other room. And I said, and my father-in-law asked a question. I can't remember what he asked, but he asked some question. We waited a little while. We went back in. I remember peeking in to see if any new writing was on the mirror. And it was written, there was writing on the mirror again. So How often would writing then appear on the now mirror? Now, it started off... <laughs> Uh, not too often, like it was at least once a day, it would, it would communicate, but it got to the point when it got, when it got really violent, it would, at this point, it was still not as violent after what the things it did down at the other house, it still wanted to communicate, but then it started destroying the house. I'm, it took its, the symbol, the triangle with the tail and it carved it into walls. It cut it out of our carpets. It destroyed the house. Every day was a process of patching and painting and, and, and trying to keep the house together. Uh, it got to, it, at first, it tried to say, it tried to pretend that it was my mother-in-law's dead sister. It would say, it would call her a name, which was Nini, that no one else knew that her sister had called her when she was a little girl. And it tried to tell us to stay out of the attic. It didn't want us to go in the attic. Okay. And it said, don't go in the attic. There's a bad wire there. There'll be a fire. Stay out of the attic. There's danger. So my mother-in-law wanted to believe it was her sister. So when we finally said, no, Ma, it's not, it's not your sister. When the entity finally realized we weren't going to fall for that, then it started to, to get more violent. And like, what kind of things would it say? I mean, it would say things like idiots, fools, you know, it would call oh, you yeah. guys names. It, it, it wanted us to get a Ouija board. It told us to talk to it on the board. And I said, well, we're not getting a Ouija board. We're not talking to this on the board. Finally, okay. I remember my, my father-in-law asked what its name was, what its, what its name, and it, it said its name was Prince. And not it like wanted, not like Prince, the musician. No. <laughs> right. It just put down Prince, P-R-I-N-C-E. So wanted us to call him Prince. Now, you called it Mr. Entity. That's what right. you called it. But what, when you guys were talking about it amongst each other, um, I mean, and first of all, who at this point was freaked? Like you said, your husband was very afraid of the paranormal. Was was mm-hmm. he like, we got we to gotta call a pre? Because I know that your oh, yeah. mother-in-law is very Catholic. My, my mother-in-law at the beginning, especially when we were at, even at the other place, she didn't want, she was afraid people would think we were crazy. 
with all these things because they were so foreign to her and to all of us, really. And at that time, it wasn't like now. It was, this was like 25 years ago. If you started, you know, there was no place to look for help like there is on the Internet or all these people that now try to help people that are being bothered by the paranormal. There was nothing. So the first place, she, and she, she, she didn't want anyone to know. So at this point is when we really started to get isolated because we, she wouldn't allow us to tell anyone what was going on. And Mr. Entity wanted us isolated. He didn't want us to have friends or to have anybody to the house. He wanted us isolated because his whole goal was to control us. And your and your child was still very young, still too, too no, still too young to have like friends right. over or anything a, like that. A little baby, yeah. And I, I never, we never let Jamie out of our sight. Jamie was with one of us twenty four hours a day. He was never alone because I wasn't going to leave my child alone in something going on like this. And so, so when did you start calling paranormal investigators to come check it out? Like, I remember the first, the first thing we called was a priest. My mother-in-law called a priest. Um, now, she hadn't been affiliated with the church for a long time. Uh, she was Catholic. She was a good Catholic, but she didn't attend church. So she contacted a, a, a priest in Guasti, uh, an older gentleman. who, And she didn't even tell him what was going on. She asked him to come up to the house to bless the house because she hoped by even blessing the house that would stop what was going on. Sure. Well, the priest came. <laughs> he, was, he, was a little, he was an older gentleman, a little old man. He came through the front door into the foyer. He stood there, and he just looked at my, my mother-in-law and myself. We were both standing there. And he, he took out his holy water, and he, and he made the sign of the cross, and he said, this house is blessed. I have to go. And I remember my mother-in-law looked panicked. She said, don't you have to go to every room and go through the house and bless every room? And he, he said, no, no, this is good. This, your house is blessed now. I have to leave. Well, she started crying because she had had such high hopes that he was going to help us right. that she got very you know, emotional. And then she tried to explain to him what was going on, that we needed help. And I remember he turned to me and made like a crazy sign on his ear and said, when ladies get this old, they get crazy. I have to go. And he just left the house and got into his car and drove away. So that wasn't, I mean, so your, your first experience with, a, uh, with someone here to help you in your house uh, didn't really have the effect that you wanted it to. No, it was a catastrophe. But then, I mean, when you're going through the book, I mean, you guys bring in Ed and Lorraine Warren. Oh, we had, so we had people from all over the United States. We had a lady from, from Louisiana who was into voodoo. We had magicians. We had uh, uh, practitioners of all different types of, we had evil people that, that did the uh, Santeria like she did, hoping that that would help it. We had researchers. We had I, people from... I know you but, contacted Lloyd Auerbach. I mean, Lloyd Auerbach's been a guest on our show. Oh, yeah. A, a real gentleman, a very nice man. Mm -hmm. He sent Chris Chacon out. Now, during this time, it had gotten so bad, it had destroyed my mother and father-in-law's bed upstairs. It had just ripped it to pieces. So they didn't even have a place to sleep. So it got so... She was so frightened. We all moved in together into the master bedroom downstairs. So now in the master bedroom downstairs... It's my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my child, my husband, and myself. It's a very large room. It has a sitting room in it. So we each had our own little separate area, but we were all together in the bedroom. And that was the only place she felt even a little safe. Um, when the entity realized that we were not, that my mother-in-law and father-in-law were no longer going to be upstairs, mm -hmm. it started writing on the bathroom mirror in the guest bathroom downstairs. 
It didn't write upstairs anymore because no one was up there to see it, but it took over the upstairs. You could start to walk up the stairs and you could feel its presence. Like halfway up the stairs, you could feel its presence. It controlled the upstairs. So Mr. Entity actually became our a captor. He controlled us and he controlled us by, by threats and he carried out the threats. You do this. If you don't do this, this will happen. And it did. He focused all his negative energy on my mother-in-law. He absolutely, it was like he hated my mother-in-law. He, 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 he took her, he, she wasn't allowed wallet. If she had a wallet, he would destroy everything in the wallet. He destroyed her license, her credit card, money, anything, her clothes. She'd wake up in the morning, go in her closet to try to get dressed. And he had, he, he had cut her clothes to pieces. He would take shoes. He would take one of each shoe. So she only had one shoe. So she didn't have shoes. It was, he was trying to just wear her down. And um, then he became physically, he started to physically attack her. Uh, He would, she would run through, actually, I remember one time we were in the bedroom and she came running down the hall screaming and ran through the door. And she had seen what she thought was something chasing her, a black head. It was it's funny because it was always like a head. Then the next time she we were in all together watching television, she went in the pantry. There's a pantry off the kitchen to get some paper towels or something, and we didn't even notice that she had got up to to leave. And then we heard a scream, and I remember jumping up and running to get to her, and we found her in the pantry, and she was like coming out of on the floor, like coming back to consciousness, holding her throat. And she explained that it locked her in the in the pantry and turned the light off. She couldn't turn the light on, and then it grabbed her by the throat. And there were actually marks on her throat. Um, oh, man. At that point, I, I have to understand, I love my mother-in-law. Of course. And I don't want anything to happen to her. And I, it gets to the point where it, the entity had controlled us for now for so long. It had been a year, over about a year, that he was just, he had did horrible things. Like he killed our dogs if we didn't do what, we, what he said. He, he just did horrible things. And I went into the bathroom after he hurt my mother-in-law and I said, this is it. You know, maybe I was, I was stupid, but I just had had enough. And I said, I'm going to treat you with respect. You're going to treat me with respect. You're not going to hurt my husband. You're not going to hurt my child. And you're not going to hurt my mother-in-law. You're not going to hurt Lee. Now, I didn't mention my father-in-law because my father-in-law was rather indifferent to everything that was going on. Well, that's what I, you know, that's what I kind of wanted to get into that because you, you, you find a connection between your father-in-law and the spirit and your mother-in-law that goes back to past lives. Yes. And when I, when I told Mr. Entity this, I left, left the the room to see what was going to happen. I came back in and he wrote on the mirror, I will not touch your child. I will not touch your husband but Lee belongs to me. So at at this point, this is when I started calling him Mr. Entity because at that point I had never called him anything. And I I told him I would show him respect. So I said, I'm going to call you Mr. Entity. I never, I never yelled at Mr. Entity. I never called him names. I just communicated with him. Uh, I said, why, why is Lee, why is Lee yours? This is when Mr. Entity explained to me why he was here. And he didn't do it in the book. It says it was a dream. It wasn't. Mr. Entity only communicated with me on the mirror. 
and he wrote the whole story out, wrote it. You, you, it was like communicating with someone, talking to someone, but he would write it. He told me that um, he, had been, he had been in a monastery, I think it was back in the 1600s, and when he said he was in a monastery, I didn't get the impression that he meant he was in physical form. Okay. I had the feeling that he meant he was like he was now, but he was in, in, possessing a monastery. And he said there were monks in the monastery that practiced Satanism. And they had promised him a sacrifice. They had promised him Lee, who was a nun, a sacrifice. She was supposed to be sacrificed. The, for some reason, the sacrifice didn't come about, and she, she, didn't, she wasn't sacrificed. But he said it didn't matter that she wasn't sacrificed then, that she belonged to him because she was promised to him. So he had come to claim her in this life. So he wanted her dead. And at the same time that all this is happening, the, the relationship between your father-in-law and your mother-in-law is deteriorating at the same time, right? It was because it was like my father-in-law, he was experiencing all the same things we were. He was, he was, a, he was a very strong man, but he wasn't frightened of anything, really. And it was like almost he didn't care. I mean, he would see this, this entity tormenting my mother-in-law, and he tormented her night and day. He got to the point where he would put knives, the entity would put knives, like she'd go to sit down in a chair, and there'd be a knife in the chair. If she sat down, she'd get stabbed. Oh. Or when she'd go to bed at night, he'd have knives in her pillows so that she would get stabbed. It got to the point where we had to go with her, and we'd have to check before she sat down, uh, before she went to bed. We had to always make sure everything was safe before she could move. But my, my father-in-law didn't give her any kind of sympathy. It was not like, oh, you know, everything will be okay. It was like he just watched, and, he, and, and their relationship deteriorated. Now, my mother-in-law believed no matter what happened, you stayed with your husband. She was a good Italian wife. Okay. She always protected him no matter what happened. I could see this. My husband could see that he wasn't giving her any, any type of, of, you know, sympathy or, or, or strength or anything. So we could see it, but she, she tried to ignore it. Well, also in the book, you talk about that, um, you know, your father-in-law was worried about being cut off financially. Right. My mother and my mother-in-law, they weren't wealthy, wealthy, but they were, they were financially secure. And he was obsessed with money. He was obsessed with money. So his whole, that's all he would think. When we had people come to the house to, to try to get rid of the entity, he never thought, you know, or is it, are these people going to help us? All he cared about was how much money it was going to cost us. Because the entity wasn't bothering him other than destroying the house. It was focused on my mother-in-law. And how much so, money do you guys think, do you think you spent on paranormal investigators and trips and, you know, subsidizing people's, you know, coming over? You know and what? I out. wasn't in charge of the money. My mother and father-in-law were. They paid for everything. So I really don't know, but it was in the thousands. And so, and they, I mean, they went in, they, they paid for the trips for, for people to come to the house and investigate it. Oh yeah. Yes, we did. Yeah. And we had all kinds of people come. We had local people come. We had people just from around the state come. And some of the people that came were nice people. You know, they tried to help. Um, but the entity loved people coming to the house to try to get rid of him. It was like a game to him. I remember when Chris Chacon came, he said some very insulting things about uh, Lloyd Arbeck, and then he's t when Chris came, Chris bought one of those meters, you know, you go mm -hmm. around that they use, and I remember when he left, Mr. Entity wrote on there, you, you're fools, the machine didn't detect me, 
you know, so he loved to, to insult people and, and, and he just, it's like he enjoyed them coming, trying to get rid of them because he, they knew, he knew they couldn't. What was the relationship between your father-in-law, the entity, and your mother-in-law? So the entity was promised your mother-in-law's as a, as a sacrifice centuries ago. Right. Supposedly, what Mr. Entity told me was my father-in-law, who even, he even gave different names to these people. At the time when, when it was in the monastery, my father-in-law's name was Andre. He said Andre. He used to refer to my father-in-law as Andre because that's who he was in that past life. He was one of the monks, and he, he was the one that backed out of the agreement. And when he was captured, he told everybody else that was involved so he wouldn't get in trouble. So he was like a traitor. Mr. Entity used to refer to him as a traitor. So the relationship's deteriorating, and your father-in-law is treating your mother-in-law, uh, treating Lee worse and worse all the time. Mm-hmm. And so eventually, uh, your father-in-law. I mean, eventually, there's a d- divorce. How how long after that that they start talking about divorce? How long after you guys had moved in, or after these things had started happening? Years. It was like when we moved in, and I think we moved in the end of '87 or the beginning of '88 uh, to the new house. And they didn't get divorced until I think it was ninety, the beginning of '92 or ni- the end of '91. You know, do do you think that she was happier then after he left? Uh, no, she was completely obsessed with my father-in-law. He could do no wrong. See, that was one of the problems. One thing that happened was the the spear. You, you remember reading about the spear? Oh in yeah, the book? yeah. Um, we had one lady that come to the, came to the house, Evelyn Paglini, who was. If you saw Dr. Ellen Poigini, she was she was awesome. I thought when she came, oh, this lady's going to be able to get rid of him. She practiced magic. Um, the entity hated Dr. Poigini. He would say the the worst things on the mirror about her. Uh, they uh, finally, Ms. Dr. Poigini explained to us that she couldn't get rid of what was in the house because one of us in the house was giving it permission to stay. And she said, if something gives a permission to stay in your house, no one can get rid of it. She said, that's why it, it, it can stay here. Uh, she, I remember her telling me, she said, I'm going to do a ritual. Tonight, you're going to find out, I'm going to find out which one is keeping the entity in the house. Well, she said, I'll call you tomorrow. You let me know what happens. Okay. Well, we were all living in the bedroom at night. Um, three o'clock in the morning, my father-in-law starts choking. He sits up in bed and starts choking and shaking. He was freezing and coughing. It's like he couldn't get his breath. We thought we were going to have to call an ambulance for him. That's how bad it got. Uh, it, it lasted like 15 minutes. Then he just laid down and went right back to sleep like nothing had happened. Hmm. The next day, she said, tell me what happened. I told her what happened. She said, your father-in-law is the one who's keeping the entity in the house. He's giving him permission. And that's how we knew that he was keeping it in the house. Also... Mr. Entity. Now, it got to the point where Mr. Entity and I would communicate constantly. It was morning till night. And the reason why, if I communicated with Mr. Entity and kept him talking, he didn't destroy as much. It was like he used his energy to talk to me instead of destroying the house. So I would, I would keep him, I would talk to him constantly. I would go back and forth. And I had, if I didn't keep the mirror erased so he had a place to, to talk, he would write on walls. So I had to constantly go in the bathroom, 
talk to him, erase the mirror so he could keep communicating. So that's... And you would leave the room every time you erased the mirror and then yeah, when you came back... Yeah, he never wrote in front of me, never. But it would be within seconds. I could leave the, the door, I could walk out the door, count to five, come back in, and the mirror would be full of writing. Okay. You know, um, it's, it's interesting. You know, reading the story, I think about, you know, people in my own family that have had, uh, you know, abuse, been inside abusive relationships and that wouldn't be, you know, that, that um, they wouldn't leave the person that was mm-hmm. abusive to them. And it almost mm-hmm. sounds like this could be a, you know, this could be a way to cure your mother-in-law of an abusive relationship that she <laughs> wouldn't otherwise get out of. You know, this whole setup thing, you know, she wouldn't get divorced and this guy was making her miserable. Right. Yeah, it was it was hard way to do it. But then like uh, with Dr. Paglini, uh, she like she told us, I can't get rid of it. Well, a week after that, my father-in-law wakes up in the middle of the night with a like a yelp. And I remember jumping out of bed and running over to the bed and in he takes out from under his blanket a spearhead. And this spearhead's like it's like two, two feet long. 18 inches long, I think it is. It was made of metal. You could see it was hand-forged. It was an amazing piece of work. And I remember going in and saying to the entity in the mirror, what is this? And he said, it was a spearhead. He wanted my father-in-law to perform a blood ritual on my mother-in-law. Now, the, the strange thing with Mr. Entity was, it was like he couldn't kill my mother-in-law. It's like he, he had the power. This, this entity, could. he used to pick up the truck and put it in the middle of the street. We'd wake up the next day, we'd park the car in the, in the driveway. We'd wake up the next day, it was in the middle of the road. So he could do amazing things. Hmm. We, we, he said, the spear is to be used for a blood ritual on Lee. And I remember telling him, no. I told Mr. Entity, no. You're not going to touch my mother-in-law. You're not going to use the spear. And he got so upset that he blew out all the windows on the top floor of the house. So, like, and broke I, broke the windows. Blew it. They were blown out. You could see where they were. It was like an like a explosion blown out. That sounds terrifying. That's how upset he got when I told him there was going to be there wasn't going to be a blood ritual. And I remember I took the spear from my father in law and I took it because I, if I knew because for some reason the entity would never touch anything that belonged to me. And if I was near my mother-in-law, he couldn't hurt my mother-in-law. I don't understand why, but it was just the way it was. Well, I think, I mean, this is a good place probably uh, to tell people where they can pick up the book and where they can learn more about a deadly haunting, see, you know, how it got resolved, get more details on the the, the crazy things that happened uh, to the Moffat family in the 1980s. Where can people pick up a deadly haunting? On Amazon, it's on Amazon. You can buy it on Amazon. Uh, Book Baby, all the the uh, internet places where you can download it. You can get a physical copy on Amazon also. Also, if you can go to a deadlyhaunting.com on the internet, you can you can see pictures of the spear and of the entity writing. I have hundreds of we at back at that time. The people that would come would say to us, "Now document everything that's happening." So we would take, I would take pictures every time it wrote, I would take pictures and, but then the next people would come and say, now you got to get rid of everything because if you, if you have pictures of these things, you're going to keep it here. So when, when the entity finally left, we, we disposed of everything. Supposedly I kept the spear because I didn't want the spear to go anywhere. 
I didn't want Mr. Entity to use it on anybody else. So I kept the spear because I knew if I had it, he couldn't touch it. Uh, my husband, who had kept all the pictures, told me that he got rid of all the pictures, but he didn't. He kept like 300 pictures, and he kept them in a box in the in the closet. I didn't even know he had them until he passed away, and I was cleaning. And those are the so, ones that you that you show in the book and on the website, right? I have like 300 pictures of the entity writing and the different things he did. If we had kept them all, we would have had thousands of pictures because it wasn't like once a month or once a week. It was from the time we woke up in the morning until we went to bed. And then even during the time when we were sleeping, he did things. It was constant. It never stopped for six years. Well, and and for people who want to find out more, make sure you check out adeadlyhaunting.com and uh, take a read of Deborah's story because um, it certainly is an interesting one. And Deborah, thank you for sharing your story um, with everybody because it is – it is a fascinating and terrifying tale. So I'm just glad that everybody made it out safe on the other side. And I just want to thank you for joining us today. It's really been a pleasure talking to you. And thank you for, for calling me, Mike. Great. Well, uh, good luck to you. And then we're going to put a link to everything in the show notes. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a great weekend. Debbie, we'll talk to you again. You too. Bye-bye, Mike. Bye. Okay, come back Hey, in. I'm back. I watched Moon. Yeah, what'd you think? It was amazing. Yeah, it, You're it, right. It's pretty amazing. Thanks yeah. for the suggestion. I ate a whole tub of popcorn, too, while I was watching <laughs> Excellent. it. Excellent. Um, anyway, so that was a really interesting interview with Deborah Moffat. Oh, I'll say. Yeah, sweet wow. woman. I mean, some crazy things Just happened to unbelievable. her. unbelievable. And uh, we have links to her book, A Deadly Haunting, in the show notes. Anyway... Uh, We've met a whole bunch of new people on Twitter over the past couple of weeks, and we just wanted to let you know that the feedback that we've been getting on Twitter is amazing. Thank you so much. Seriously, the people who've like said hi or you know mentioned that they're listening to an episode, all that, it really it it means, means a lot to us. It does mean a lot. But what would mean even more is if you guys would go into iTunes and leave a review there. Uh, we do this because we love the topics. We love writing songs about it. We love, you know, it's fun. <laughs> it is fun to discussing paranormal stuff. But uh, the reviews in iTunes help a lot of other people in introducing them to the podcast. Yeah. So just check out the iTunes link, leave a review. I mean, if you if you think it's five stars, leave five stars. If you think it's not five stars, leave five stars. And <laughs> no, it would be great to see some because. You know, we, we had a pretty good role going there yeah, in February, did. but then it's it's gotten quiet. We so. haven't asked for it. So we're asking for it right now. So please <laughs> leave a review. Okay. That's, Thank you. That is our shameless plug. Yes. Okay. And so we're going to get to this next song. Yes. Song time. This particular song, um, I thought of this the way that Deborah said that Mr. Entity kept them as a captor. And this was a demo we were working on. Um kind of with that captor idea and it's actually named after the first dungeons and dragons module uh, <laughs> modules were adventures that you could buy and then you could be a dungeon master and you'd read through the module and then do that that would be an adventure like a pre-made adventure okay. instead of writing your own and the first adventure that i ever uh dm'd or participated in was called the keep on the borderlands and so 
uh, that idea of being between. You were the only thing between the dark and the light. You were the thing protecting your home or protecting your place. I see. Um, that definitely. You were the keep on the borderlands. Okay. And here's a song. Listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. That sounds terrifying.